Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. This is Jim G, pilot Jim G at Sun and Fun in Florida, and I'm here with two of my close friends, Larry Overstreet. Hello. And Dave Hignan. Hijacked. That's what you've done. You've hijacked it. Unfortunately, Jack couldn't be with us today, so he asked us to record this episode for him. So we say, hi, Jack. <laughs> We're at uh, Sun and Fun, where we've been looking at some very interesting airplanes and some very interesting kit and building ideas. And Dave and I have been looking at and discussing the engine option in one of the Wayx slash Sonics aircraft designs from Sonics Aircraft of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And what they've introduced recently uh, is a turbocharged version of the VW-based four-cylinder air-cooled engine that they use on those airplanes. It's a model that uh, their V-tail YX is with the turbocharged engine. I've already met a couple of other people that are building that same airplane. It's very intriguing. Uh, a friend of mine's done some repair work on a regular Sonex. He was impressed with how robust the airframe is. And it's fast, why is it fast? It's, fa it's fast because the turbocharger allows the engine to... Well, the turbocharger is uh, an unusual uh, setup compared to what most people are used to. It's a draw-through turbocharger. The uh, compressor, such as it is, pulls the air through the uh, fuel injector and through the induction system and force-feeds it into the engine, and that lets it make full rated 100 horsepower up to about 12,000 feet, I understand. Which outdoes the Jabru 6 uh, they're expecting. Right. I, have a, I fly a light sport aircraft as well, but naturally aspirated with a carburetor, you, you do lose the performance up high because of the loss of air pressure. Yeah, I'm uh, building a Sonics myself, and that's the engine I want to put in. What, what, which of the engines are you using? I uh, haven't bought it yet, but uh, I'll be planning on the Aero-V with the turbo. Yeah, they uh, was visiting with Mr. Monette uh, a little earlier today, John Monette, the uh, founder of uh, the company and uh, I guess you'd say the primary designer. And uh, one of his uh, 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 staff is an old friend. And apparently that turbocharging system is uh, quite the rage with their customers, not only new customers but existing customers since it can be retrofitted to all the existing 80 horsepower Aero V engines. They did a really nice job on the installation. Say again? They did a really nice job on the installation. Oh, it's a really clean installation. Uh, and uh, the only people I've heard express heartburn over it are the ones who kind of come up a little hesitant at the idea that the engine is a kit too. You got to build it. Yep. So, and I saw the p exploded picture of the engine, and there's quite a few parts in there. And that just the engine itself is going to be an interesting uh, challenge to assemble. One of the nice things about it, though, is that you can, when, when it is time to do your overhaul, you can do it yourself because you built the engine, and for maybe a couple hundred dollars worth of parts. Yeah, overhauls are going to be would be far below what we're used to, uh, and uh, cylinder assemblies. Uh, uh, these are kind of geared to Volkswagen engines made for uh, Formula V racing and uh, race cars and uh, uh, very robust, very robust. Yeah, a lot of racing parts in that engine. Uh, speaking of doing your own work, one of the questions I asked Dave yesterday was about uh, whether he would go e, e, uh, uh, experimental amateur built, what we call EAB, 
or ELSA, Experimental Light Sport, and there's a, a quite a discussion going on in aviation circles about whether your home-built airplane should would be one or the other. What do you prefer and why? And I thought it might be useful for our listeners to explain a little bit about the difference, because you do have a choice between an ELSA and an EAB. Uh, I'm not sure in, in this particular case with Sonex, but yeah, several of the other uh, LSA-type models out there, you can build as either Experimental Light Sport or you can buy as a uh, ELSA, Experimental LSA. And the difference is, uh, is uh, significant. The amount of work already done for you in the ELSA version is uh, much more advanced than in the Experimental Amateur built. Building time is shorter. And it already has a fixed set of equipment and power plant picked out for it. Uh, the ones that the manufacturer got uh, their uh, con- consensus approval on in the uh, SLSA version. And you can't market an ELSA unless you've done the SLSA first. That's the foundation of airplane. It comes down to how much control you want to have. If you build an experimental amateur built, even if it qualifies under light sport rules, it is still an amateur built. You are the manufacturer, you're the builder, and you control the design and make the decisions. If you build an ELSA, an experimental light sport aircraft, you're still you're now in the light sport world, which means the manufacturer controls the design. So even though you've assembled it, you're not the builder, you're just the assembler. And I've heard contentions made that the ELSA leaves you the same freedom to modify the airplane once it's been inspected under the uh, ELSA practice. I have not checked that out to verify that. Uh, That might tilt the scale for some people, but experimental amateur built, uh, like Jim says, you're the manufacturer, you're in control. It's all in your lap, baby. Right. The argument could be made that the ELSA is more resaleable than an EAB. That's, I think, the only thing in its favor. Well, there are operational differences, too. Uh, Light sport aircraft, unless a manufacturer has approved their use for night or instrument, can't be used for night or instrument. Uh, So a private pilot who is legal for night and instrument couldn't build an LSA or buy an LSA and use it to fly that without the manufacturer's approval. Conversely, with the experimental amateur-built category, uh, you can fly it however you equip it and whatever your nerve will let you take it to. And speaking of manufacturer approval, we were just over in the flight design booth, the three of us, looking at a a new design just coming from that company and also talking to them about manufacturer approvals. Now, were any of us looking longingly at the C4, that that is the flight design C4? I think I see two of the three of us looking at it that way. I think it's a gorgeous looking airplane and you know with with um, four seats uh, 1200 mile range um, and a price tag of about a quarter million dollars it seems like it's about the cheapest certified four seat 160 knot airplane I can imagine. It could put a big dent in some of the traditional established aircraft manufacturers that make four seat fixed gear airplanes uh, that are priced with glass panels that are priced significantly higher than that point and won't go nearly as fast. Yeah. And the f- prototype just flew a few weeks ago uh, in Germany. We saw a video of it, and um, they have taken deposits for, I think he said, I think they said 60, roughly, airplanes. 60 airframes, yeah. Yeah. 
So that, uh, for those who are looking for a fast, light, four-seat airplane, this is something to look forward to. Yeah, I got to, had a, had a little time to visit with the pilot that flew that burst test, test flight, and uh, he was very happy with the, uh, with the results of that burst. I think it was a 55-minute flight. He had a couple of small critiques, uh, but that's why it's a prototype. Uh, unfortunately, as soon as they landed from that, they did some pictures, and then they disassembled the airplane so it could go to Aero Friedrichshafen. And, uh, but it'll be back in the flight test program shortly, I know, knowing Tom Pagini, so It's a, it's a nice-looking airplane, and um, I'm sure it's going to do very well. Larry, anything else uh, interesting or you'd like to add? No, but the punchline on both of those is uh, that uh, they're both really economical airplanes for the dollar and for what you get. Well, and, uh, the treat of the day for me was getting an up-close look at uh, Sonic's, Subsonic's jet. We, uh, after, we were, the three, after we were passing the Subsonic's jet and saw the little jet engine, which is a maybe a little smaller than a microwave oven for those who m- would like to get an idea of size. It certainly is bigger than a toaster, but, s- but not as big as a microwave. I said, uh, gee, if only I could strap one of those on each side of a Cessna 182 Skyline. Imagine how that would be. <laughs> that would be fun. That would be fun. Almost like the screaming Sasquatch uh, Jack Link's airplane. Uh, whatever that is. You know, you can build your own jet and fly it for about 130000 plus uh, paint and instruments. Uh, there are more than a few people I know whose Walter Mitty fantasies moved several steps closer to reality when that airplane hit the market. And Mr. Manette, I think he said they've already sold six or seven for it. So I'm not surprised. There have been seven customer deliveries already, and they're taking orders for more deliveries for the rest of the year. Yeah, they may have to up the uh, production rate a little bit. You bet. That would be great. Hi, I'm looking to find a, an instructor for transition training into my subsonics. Uh, where would you find one? New Mexico. I suppose. Yep. In the meantime, there are two other designs that uh, are on my radar screen. As of yet, what, day three of the show, I've not sat in any of the three. So the jury is still out. Sounds like we're looking for a lot more fun in the remainder of Sun and Fun. From Oshkosh, from where? No, we're not Oshkosh. Where are we? You can edit that out. We'll edit that out. From Central Florida, this has been Dave and Larry and Jim with Uncontrolled Airspace Daily, Episode Three Eight Zero, Charlie. The hijacked version. The hijacked episode. <laughs>